0: Hi sister, welcome to Women's Collective Consciousness Podcast. I am Riven Fabrianti, I am your host for this podcast, also founder of Women's Collective Consciousness, a mother, menstrual psycho coach, and a lover of embodied movement based in Melbourne, Australia. My dharma and my purpose in this world is to empower women to remember and reclaim their power of the wisdom and the wisdom magic as a cyclical being through a juicy conversation around women's cycle, health, wellness, and well-being. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge to the tradition custodian of this land where I record this podcast. I pay my respect to the elders past Present and future. I also like to acknowledge to every woman who is listening to this podcast. And my hopes for every woman who is listening to this podcast is to always remember that you are belonging, being a woman in your skin, in your body, in your temple, doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. Sister, let's jump into our juicy conversation today because I am so excited. We have Gemma today. Gemma is dead have a master dietitian as well as bachelor uh, in food science and nutrition and she is also a researcher in dietitian at the University of Melbourne and Deakin University here in Melbourne all right Gem I know you have so many things going on in your things (laughs) but can you please introduce yourself to the listeners so who you are and what do you do
1: yeah, so thank you for inviting me on to your podcast. Very excited to be here. Um, So as you mentioned before, I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. Um, I've got a master's in dietetics and bachelor of food science and nutrition. Um, And I often get asked the question, What's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? So a dietitian um, has completed a university education, which typically involves um, a bachelor's and a master's degree. Um, And a dietitian is able to work across a range of different settings, including in hospitals, And the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist is that a dietitian is trained in medical nutrition therapy, which means that we can help with the management of a range of different medical conditions through the use of diet. And PCOS, which is the topic of today's conversation, um, is a really good example of how a dietitian um, can help and be a part of the care team. Uh, So, as you mentioned before, I've got a range of different roles. I don't like to sit still for very long. So, um, I am a private practice dietitian. I've got my own clinic um, and where I uh, specialize a lot on um, weight management and also gastroenterology. So, things like low FODMAP diet, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, celiac disease. Uh, But I also help women um, and any individual with uh, diabetes, high cholesterol and gestational diabetes as well. In addition to that, I also work for um, a private health insurance company as a dietitian and I'm currently working on two research projects, as you mentioned before, at the University of Melbourne and Deakin University and I'm also a casual academic at Deakin can As well. So, what's to keep me busy? Um, so, hopefully, I can impart a little bit of wisdom onto you all today. So, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Oh
0: my gosh, that was a lot of your plate. It's, it's a imagine. lot of, it's a lot of jobs. Yeah, it's about seven different jobs. Oh my gosh, I don't know how can you feel it. It's like one day for one job. or yeah. it's just like everything in once. That's right. Uh, so, I'm just assuming because. This is like the phase of summer, so I'm just assuming you might in the mother phase of a womanhood but I, I was just speaking with you before we're we using the term of a queen phase. We, we like the
1: queen phase a little bit better than the, than the mother phase I think it suits me suits my vibe a bit better so yeah I'm in the queen phase so um, I'm 30 years old so I'm in that queen phase between 25 and 50 years and I think the queen phase really sums it up beautifully um, because I'm in that phase of building my own businesses and uh, building my own life as well um as as a woman and really being comfortable in my own skin and within myself so yeah we are like the queen phase where we're embracing that
0: oh yeah we are embracing that i mean like i'm in a queen phase too It's was just yeah. like <laughs> feeling so wild right here it's just like everything is calm at once i don't know which yeah, one it's to a good from. phase it's a good phase to be in Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All righty, as we're going to talk a lot here about, you know, like pretty much the journey of the woman, how can they manage um, their wife if they got the PCOS. But I also want to ask you, I'm curious about what is your own journey with food itself that is lead you to where you are right now? Yeah, so it's been a bit of an interesting
1: journey um, and it took a different direction than what I was initially planning. So I've always loved cooking and I really enjoyed learning about how diet can impact our health. Um, growing up, I was always going to be a doctor. That was always my plan. Um, and then during high school, my twin sister announced in year 10 that she was going to be a dietitian, And I was like, oh, what's that? Uh, that, that sounds that sounds cool. Um, So I pretty much copied her um, to to sum it up. And um, I think this was the right choice for me because dietetics um, combines my love of medicine and health uh, with my passion for food and nutrition. So it's best of both worlds um, and really happy with my decision. But In terms of my journey with food itself, I know it sounds a little bit um, cliche, but my philosophy is everything in moderation, my favorite dietitian catchphrase. Um, And this is my philosophy because a lot of people assume that dietitians have uh, the healthiest diets 100% of the time, but it's not always the case. Like we're we're humans as well. Um, And... I would like to think that I've got a good relationship with food. I don't deprive myself of anything um, if I want it, but I'm always mindful of like my portions and also tuning into my hunger and fullness cues as well. So asking myself, why am I why am I wanting this chocolate? Um, you know, am I stressed? Am I anxious? Or do I really just want it. Um and and that's okay. So we're going to be talking uh, a little bit today about those hunger and fullness hormones. They'll they'll come up in conversation. Um but I enjoy my dessert every night and I don't I don't feel guilty about it either. Um And this is the type of relationship with food that I try to um, instill in in my patients because the research tells us that time and time again, that dieting cycle of restricting yourself um, and, you know, going on these fad diets, they don't work. And, you know, if we take the example of of the chocolate, you know, you might say, okay, I'm going to stop eating chocolate. I'm banning myself from eating chocolate. But then what happens, and I'm sure we've all experienced this as well, you you start to crave the chocolate and then, you know, you might have a busy day at work or something's happened and you're stressful and then you give in and you have the chocolate and you end up eating the whole block of chocolate because you've deprived yourself of it for so long. And then you feel then you feel crap about yourself and you're like oh well i've i've done it now i've i've ruined the diet i may as well just finish the block of chocolate or finish the biscuits that are there um and then that cycle continues and oh i'll start again tomorrow um and i don't i don't want that with my patients because we know that that doesn't work so in terms of like reaching your health goals so i like to try and practice what i preach as as um much as possible and really just try to um remove a lot of the judgment around eating um, and put that focus back on nourishing nourishing your body and giving your body what, what it wants, but also being mindful about why you're eating um, and the portions as well. So that's a little bit about, it's a long-winded answer about my relationship with food, but I think it ties in really nicely with what we're going to be talking about today. Oh
0: yeah, totally. And then I guess that I really hear that wisdom of you, that you're honoring that mindful eating because Mm -hmm. I guess this is the thing, right, in this um, health and wellness situation when you're just thinking about losing weight but you don't find that awareness back into your body. What are you craving? What are your desire of? And then sometimes it's just we play so hard for this. And then like Mm -hmm. you said, you know, like we can just going back and then back again into the cycle of that suffering and then going back again to, you know, like maybe even before we started, right? So it is Yeah, really exactly. And
1: we've become really disconnected from our hunger and fullness cues and what our bodies are actually trying to tell us a lot of the time. We override those signals. Um so yeah, that's a little bit about in a
0: nutshell yeah i love it um all righty so let's jump in into that juicy conversation for today so we're gonna be talking about that supporting hormone with white management or white loss. if they have that pcos but first what is pcos and why it is challenging for women to lose what if they have one
1: yeah, so really really good question and it's a very important topic to talk about as well. So I'm going to I'd like to break it down into a few different parts because I think um it's good to have an understanding of what uh PCOS or um, polycystic ovary sy- um, syndrome is. I'll just be referring to it as PCOS because it's a bit of a tongue twister. Um and also the common symptoms and the causes of PCOS, um and then I'll be um talking about why it's really hard for women with PCOS to lose weight and something that I think is often overlooked within the medical profession as well, that difficulty. Um, So we'll start off by giving a little bit of a definition about PCOS. So it's a really common um, condition seen in women of childbearing age and and it's important we're talking about it today because it affects um, up to 13% of women. Um, so it's a significant part of the population, and um, it often goes undiagnosed for many years. So, I hope today by talking and having this conversation about PCOS that we're bringing that awareness. So, if you uh, you are listening to this and you do notice any you've got any of these symptoms, go and speak to your GP and start that investigation. Um, and in regards to what polycystic actually means, it just means many cysts on the ovaries so um a polycystic ovary syndrome is just many cysts on the ovaries so the common symptoms of PCOS that we commonly see, uh, we might see excessive facial or body hair, um, thinning hair even, and baldness in some, in some women. Um, periods can be really irregular or even absent. Um, and then even acne, um, weight gain, fertility problems. Sleep apnea. Um, So that's where um, your breathing is impacted by when you're asleep. Um, We also know that women with PCOS are at a higher risk of anxiety and depression as well. Um, if you do have a ultrasound done on your ovaries, the multiple cysts are obvious on on the ultrasound scan. So the sonographer, the person doing the ultrasound, um, will be able to see the multiple cysts on the ovaries. Um, yeah. And I said before that it's really important if you do notice any of these symptoms. That you are speaking with your GP about it. Um, It's very important because we know there's actually some long-term health risks associated with PCOS. So, women with PCOS PCOS are at a um, three times increased risk of getting type 2 diabetes and heart disease as well. So, it's not something to be flippant about. Um, It's something we've got to take quite seriously. And, We know uh, from years of research that women with PCOS have higher levels of the um, hormone testosterone, which can impact fertility. Uh, So I briefly touched on that before, but I I really want to stress that women with PCOS do still have the ability to fall pregnant naturally, um, but being on top of your PCOS and managing it effectively can really help that um, process along as well. And then um, I wanted just to briefly touch on what are the common causes of PCOS. So there's a few different uh, risk factors that can increase your risk of getting PCOS. So having a family history uh, of PCOS, having a higher body weight, a poor quality diet and insulin resistance. So I wanted to explain that. Term insulin resistance because some people may not have heard of that before. Um, and it's really important to have an understanding of that concept as we're going through today because I'm going to be talking about insulin a bit. So, insulin is a hormone which is produced by one of our organs, the pancreas. And its role is the role of insulin is to help our body use glucose. So glucose is our primary fuel source for our brain and our muscles. So it's like the petrol in the car, essentially. And insulin resistance just means that our body's cells aren't able to respond very well to the insulin that's produced. So more of it is made. Um, And that extra insulin that's made triggers the ovaries to produce more of that male um, hormone testosterone, uh, which then causes a lot of the symptoms that we spoke about before.
0: Just hang there for a moment. If the yeah. listener is perhaps not being, um, never heard about the testosterone. So, mm. if you guys listen to our last episode, well, it's not the last. A few episode before this, there is um talking about that five different hormone of a woman. Right, we got the LH, we got the. FS FSH and we also got the estrogen and progesterone. And then as I mentioned in that uh, episode, we do have that testosterone. Even there is, we don't have as much, but we do still need that testosterone to that. Key innovation, and if you are is not familiar with what is this all? These five different hormones governing our body. Again, hormone is just a chemical messenger that regulate the metabolic function of the cell in the body. So, hormonal levels is can be influenced by factors such as stress, infection, changing in the balance, fluid, mineral, blood, and in also your sleep, your diet, and everything. So, what James River here if you do have that because that estrogen level is going up a little higher but also that affecting that insulin level or maybe your glucose level or all these other hormones that is not meant to be having that higher level but because you do have that because or the accumulation of the Cs in your ovaries and then that's where everything is start to coming out of the balance.
1: That's right. And that's why we refer to PCOS as an endocrine disorder. So endocrine just means it's a hormone-related um, condition. Um, and I think it's great that listeners can refer back to that previous podcast episode and um, delve into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty of the different hormones. So if this um, isn't making much sense about when I'm talking about testosterone, maybe pause this episode and go back and listen to that other episode first to get a bit of an understanding of those different types of hormones and then come back and listen to this episode. And I think it will make a lot more sense. But I just wanted to um, answer that second part of the question that you asked me originally about why it's harder for women with PCOS to lose weight. Um, And as I said, I think it's um, sort of overlooked sometimes um, by health professionals. It's getting better, but um, it is it's not a made-up thing, it is a real thing that women with PCOS find it a lot harder to lose weight Um, and the research is now indicating that this is because our hunger and fullness hormones, ghrelin and leptin, so ghrelin is our hunger hormone and leptin is our fullness hormone. So in women with PCOS, these aren't regulated properly um, and that, causes women with PCOS not to feel full or satisfied after meals, which then impacts eating behaviours and therefore weight gain. So um, it once again, it's those hormones again that are really um, making things difficult for women with PCOS.
0: All righty, So it's really helpful information here, but what do you do to helping women to helping women to get this white management when they have the pieces, what you as a dietitian do to help this woman?
1: So our guidelines, our clinical practice guidelines in regards to how we help women with PCOS, they state that lifestyle changes like diet and exercise should always be the first line treatment option in the management of PCOS. Um, In some cases, though, medication or surgery can be helpful in managing the condition, um but weight management is often a really key feature of managing PCOS and that's because we've found that 5 to 10% loss of body weight can be really beneficial in managing that hormone imbalance that we spoke about before as well as managing that insulin resistance and reducing the risk of type 2 diabetes mm. Working with a dietitian um, is a great way to ensure that you're actually getting really tailored and individualized advice, so that your specific nutrition needs, um, and food preferences and your lifestyle are taken into consideration. So it's not just a cookie cutter approach, like a one size fits all. Um, so that's why I recommend women with PCOS should be speaking to a dietitian to get tailored advice, um but linking back with what you were asking me before, like how do I actually support women with PCOS? Um, so I help them by creating that healthy relationship with food. So like we spoke about a little bit at the top of the podcast, um, as well as ensuring that their diet is actually providing them with all of the nutrition that you need. So all the vitamins and minerals, carbs, protein, energy, and because it's different for everybody. Like, everyone's not the same we've all got different requirements um and i think that um food is more than just calories in and calories out it's it's so much more than that it's about the enjoyment of food the traditions around food cultural traditions around food socializing and above all it's nourishing the body as well um so that's one aspect of how I help women with PCOS by addressing all all of those different things. But if we want to talk a little bit about the, the nitty-gritty of actually what topics I focus on uh, with my women with PCOS, so in especially those who are needing weight management advice, the first thing that I generally always start off with is talking about portion sizes. So getting the right amount of carbohydrates, protein, veggies, fruit in our diet each day and in the appropriate portions for your body. Um, And then I'll also analyse the current diet to make sure that you're getting all of the nutrition that you need in accordance with the Australian Guide to Health Eating for your age and your gender and the life stage you're in as well. Um, So once again, very tailored, individualised management. And then the cornerstone of our um, weight management approach with um, this condition is glycemic index. So glycemic index is a measure of how quickly a food is broken down into glucose. Remember, that's that fuel that our body works off um, in the body. So we really focus on swapping out the high GI foods uh, that are currently in the diet. So these are the foods that are broken down into glucose really quickly and they spike our glucose levels. So it's like a bit of a roller coaster. They they, they spike up and then they crash back down again. So like white bread is a good example of this um, or like a jaz- jasmine rice. Um, So they cause a big spike in our blood sugars and then they have that big crash. But if we swap these for lower GI or lower glycemic index alternatives, so like a, a brown rice or a wholemeal bread or basmati rice, we don't have that big spike in our blood sugars like we do uh, with our high GI option. So it's a smaller. we do get some spike, but it's a smaller, more gradual um, increase in our blood sugars. And that's normal. That should happen. Um I also focus on um, discussing some um, healthier snack options um, and also to um, a brief discussion on exercise because we know that exercise is really important for um, improving that insulin resistance because when you exercise, the glucose that is in the blood gets actually dragged into the cells. So it's not doing damage by floating around in the bloodstream. So our current exercise guidelines for adults recommend 150 minutes of that moderate intensity physical activity per week plus some muscle strengthening activities as well. Um, and Re is probably better suited to be talking about exercise and that muscle strengthening side of things. And I will often refer my patients to an exercise physiologist or an exercise um, specialist who is trained in developing a personalized exercise plan for people with medical conditions or particular injuries um, because delving too much into exercise not, not my scope. Um, I'm happier chilling with talking about diet and bowels and and all of that kind of thing rather than um delving into too much exercise. And it's really important to um uh, that the management of uh, PCOS is multidisciplinary. So it includes a dietitian, it includes um an exercise physiologist. And I often refer people to um, a psychologist as as well, a lot of the time, um, because as I mentioned briefly before, people with PCOS have a higher rate of um, anxiety and depression, but the rates of eating disorders are also really high as well in this population group. And if someone is struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating behaviours, whether that's binge eating or um, restricting your eating or um over exercising even so if you eat and then you're doing a lot of compensatory exercise I'll often refer um my patients on to a specialist eating disorder dietitian so an accredited eating disorder dietitian who has done extra postgraduate training in helping people with eating disorders as well as a psychologist as well. Um just to make sure that my patients are getting the best possible care for for their needs. So once again, really um, drawing upon that multidisciplinary team approach there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really love the way you approach your client really, really individual. And just adding on that, if again, the listener is not familiar with what is insulin again as German was mentioned insulin is just that the hormone is produced by your body to break down that glucose so again the glucose is actually a sugar level right whatever you take either is a rice or a chocolate is still going to include sugar in it unless you just drink water or gas <laughs> literally like everything in- and the food storage, this diet is always adding sugar, either a little or more than that. But from that food that you eat, it can be used for the energy. So as Gemma was mentioned, the energy is pretty much that exercise. And if you see that physical activities can lower your blood glucose up to 24 hours or more after your workout by making your body feel more sensitive that insulin and become familiar with how your blood glucose respond to exercise checking in with the level of energy in your body so after the exercise you might feel um the benefit of it you might feel really energizing and some people is actually come to me after a workout and then they said oh i actually feel more energized than i was came here it's just interesting because. I feel like it's a really blow and then now like my energy spike up, which is I thought exercise is gonna drain me. But again, that the energy of the insulin that you're breaking down, energy that glucose, especially if you do have excess glucose in your body, but exercise by that sweat, you're releasing all this excess thing in your body, right? This is where the sweat is coming from. You want to feeling that energy of i will really referring back into that element of water and fire because your fire is your core and then when you're thinking about that fire what is really fire you up and the food is just like um you know like your petrol but how the how the car is going on like you need that fire to burn the petrol to really fire up and then make this moving make this car moving but when you're thinking about that again if that doesn't fire up if you don't exercise you probably won't be able to removing or burning this petrol burning this glucose and when you're thinking about you know like oh I got injury here on let's just say you know like on my ankles oh I can't exercise Mm -hmm. but there is so many different exercise that is suitable for you and then I think this is why I really drawn into learning more in Pilates industry because I come out from injury and then that is really stopping me for a little while to moving my body because I didn't feel safe enough to just move my body and when you know that what you are capable of you keep coming back and then you keep challenging yourself even more and more but if you n- never try it you never know so you, if you never fire that you never gonna find a way to really get out of this cycle of that PCOS oh. But again, even though we are is revering here in PCOS, there is so many things myself was coming up from the thyroid, hypothyroid. And then I feel like, you know, exercise and the right amount of diet is really helping me. And then there is just some of the food that you can't really take in it too much because it's just going to bring that stress level is more into your body. And again, that Some stress is great, but some stress is done. So food and exercise is just really good to finding the way to really open the door for your healing journey to whatever that you are working on. And
1: I think I'm I'm that person you're talking about before who like rocks up to the Pilates that's feeling like blah on a, sad, a Sunday morning. I always do Ree's class. And then afterwards I'm like, oh I've got a pep in my step. Like I, I feel good. I feel energized. Um and you're right in what you're saying, like it does re-energize you for the day. Um and Yeah, so just linking back with what I was saying before, like it is important that we're not only focusing on the diet aspect Of PCOS management, but we're linking in with all of those other professionals as well. So our exercise professionals, our mental health care professionals, as well as our GPs as well. Um, And if you do have um, PCOS, remembering, and some people actually aren't aware of this, that if you've got PCOS, you may be eligible for five Medicare rebated visits to see a dietitian or an exercise physiologist every year. Um, And that's under a chronic disease management care plan if you're a Medicare card holder here in Australia. And so, and it does provide a a pretty decent rebate as well. So, because I know a lot of the time the cost is a prohibitive factor for getting, uh, and everything's more expensive nowadays as well, but for getting that extra. Care and that you need to manage your health. Getting a care plan from the GP to go and see um, a dietitian or an exercise physiologist or a physio can be a really um, useful way of breaking down some of those barriers um, to getting the help you need.
0: Mm, that is a really good tips, Gem. I actually didn't know that you can read about that. So. I will look onto it for sure. Um, Gem, this is it. This is the only time that we have. I'm super grateful to having you here. Before we close this chapter, what is the three things that you are grateful for being a woman?
1: Oh, it's hard to just pick three. Um, but I think the first one would be my amazing group of uh, girlfriends um, from all walks of life. I've I've met them through so many different seasons of my life to date and I'm very grateful for them. Uh, the second thing would be um, having access to fertility treatments. Um, we're very lucky here in Australia and things like egg freezing, having... The option um, to to freeze eggs, if that's the journey that you want to go down, or other um, reproductive services. I think we're so lucky to have the ability to do that and to give us um, ownership over our bodies and um, to give ourselves options as well. Um, And something that's definitely relevant to me at the point of life that I'm in. Um, And then uh, the third thing would probably be the the ability to bring life into the world, if that's something that aligns with you um, and something that, um, you know, you have the ability to do, um, that's what I'm grateful for in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. And if this is like to find you, where is the best way to connect with you? Yep. So um, listeners
1: can um, look at my website, find me on my website. So it's GemmaDietetics.com. So dietetics is spelled D-I-E-T-E-T-I-C-S so it's GemmaDietetics.com or you're welcome to reach out and send me an email directly at GemmaDietetics at gmail.com and I'm sure we will put the um, details of that in the description of the episode as well but I do offer both in-person um, appointments um, in my Melbourne-based clinic as well as a video virtual appointments as well and after hours um, appointments available so I can and help as many people as possible.
0: Uh, amazing. Yes, I uh, obviously will put everything in the show notes. And then thank you again, Gem, for sharing your wisdom with our community.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to hopefully talking about
0: more diet and medical um, topics soon. Um, sister, thank you for joining us for powerful podcast episode. Don't forget to check out our Instagram at Women's Collective Consciousness for the update of our next event, Women's Circle Workshop and Gathering based in Melbourne, Australia. I also have a free gift for you to start your menstrual cycle journey. Check out our website www.womenscollectiveconsciousness.com to reclaim free guide how... To cycle chart if you enjoy to listen to this podcast please share it with other women in your life and i always learning thriving and evolving so don't forget to leave a review and feedback thank you beautiful